The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show for over 29 weeks. The revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show proudly present to you this spooktacular time. <laughs> Let's welcome the trio's tag team champions of the world. The Master Library, Kevin Straight Out of Hellions. Sweet Maddie, Trick or Treats. And the educator of exorcisms. Collectively known as the Haunted House Show. Enter at your own risk. Halloween Havoc 1990. Today's card features Wildfire Tommy Rich and Ricky Morton taking on the Midnight Express. The Fabulous Freebirds taking on the Renegade Warriors. For the NWA United States Tag Team Championship, the Nasty Boys take on the Steiner Brothers. For the NWA World Tag Team Chip, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson battle Doom. For the NWA United States Championship, the champion Lex Luger defends against Stan Hansen. And in our main event for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, the champion Sting takes on the challenger known as Sid Vicious. Welcome everyone to another edition of the Haunted House Show. It is me as always, Mr. Maddie Trick or Treats, and I am joined by my Trios Tag Team Partners. To my right is none other than the Educator of Exorcisms. Educator, how you doing? Oh, good Thursday morning, sirs. How's everybody doing out in the Retro Network realm? Thank you guys for joining us tonight. Looking forward to talking about Halloween Havoc 1990. Things seem to be going well as we are tiptoeing through the month of October, getting closer to real Halloween and the hopeful likelihood of taking my youngest out trick-or-treating. Yeah, so are you uh, proceeding as if trick-or-treating is happening? Because I honestly think it will happen, and it is probably the safest holiday to do for COVID. I think so. Um, I am planning on moving forward. I mean, my two older kids are in high school, so they're not going to be going out or anything like that. I uh, want to take advantage of the fact how Halloween falls on Saturday this year. So, you know, without there being conflicts of rushing home after school, trying to get a meal in and then get prepped and ready to go out to dinner. Yeah, I still think we're planning on taking the youngest out, my second grader, and uh, meeting up with a couple of other uh, coworkers. So. We'll see. Do you ever do you ever foresee them moving Halloween to the last Saturday in October ever? 
it's it's a unique concept. Uh, certainly something I w- would hope uh, U.S. would consider, or even if it's a, a statewide thing, you know, it would be cool. Yeah, just kind of a, an interesting little concept. And to my left is none other than the masked library, Kevin Straight Out of Hellions. Kevin, how was the first week of October for you? I mean, first week of October is fantastic. I uh, rated my local Dollar Tree for the new horror DVDs that have got, come in, um, which obviously no one else wanted beforehand. So it's cream of the crop for movies. And uh, every Halloween, I try to find like an old an old special, um, you know, cartoon special, an old sitcom special, whatever that I haven't watched either ever or that's been decades and add it back to my rotation. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what I find. You know, maybe maybe this year I'll just count all the Halloween Havocs as my new finds for October. Yeah, this um this Halloween season, I'm actually looking forward to having the Peacock streaming service because they have a lot of universal monsters from the, you know, 30s and 40s, the originals. Uh, and they they just added all of the SNL episodes every season. Yeah. So there you go. There's a lot of Halloween episodes and in content rate uh, right through SNL. Yeah, that's a lot of content to get through. Wow, that's crazy. The other thing, too, I was thinking about doing is watching all the Treehouse of Horror Simpsons episodes this Halloween season. But it's hard to fit it all in when we got such great Halloween Havoc content. But I, 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 there, there's something, guys, that we have to address, okay? Me and the educator have to confront Mr kevin straight out of hellions about this now kevin yeah it's about time we're doing this i I think you know what's going to happen listen i've i've greatly reduced my time on tiktok um i'm following a lot less people i try to be on it a lot less and uh i stopped trying to do the dance routines yeah that's not what we're talking about but we appreciate that we we need to have a word sir so last week when we left everyone we said we were covering Halloween Havoc 1990, and there's two versions of the show, right, Kevin? Two versions. There is the WWE Network, which is the VHS version, which is only has six of the ten matches that were shown on the event. And if I'm not mistaken, educator, you know, maybe you, you know, you're a teacher, you know how to take notes, you know how to listen. Maybe I something didn't sit well with me or in my brain I didn't take the note down but didn't Kevin say he was going to watch the other event with all 10 episodes or all 10 matches on it if you are checking for understanding I do believe he made a point in saying that he had access to the full show and we reminded him that he was going to have to do the the, the, the match play by play for the four matches that I would not be watching. Yeah, I think we said, folks at home, get excited. Kevin Hellions is doing four Halloween Havoc breakdowns on the next episode. Crazy. Uh, Now, Kevin, we come here to record, and now you're telling us that you didn't watch all ten matches? All right. So, I went and I searched, and I was trying to find something that had the full show. And one of these sites listed three hours, and it looked like it had the full show. Now, I, you would think, with all of the other time I have spent on video sites, doing my own personal research, 
I would know that sometimes you think that it's like a full scene from beginning to end, and yet it's only like a five minute preview and it cuts out before the action starts. And that even though it says it's the full thing, you should really check it ahead of time. So this is my fault. It said it was the full thing. I started watching it and no difference. Kept watching it, no difference. I was like, maybe they put it on the end. Nope. Wasn't there. It's the internet that lied to me. See, Kevin, it's one thing that you lied to myself. It's one thing that you lied to the educator. But you lied to the audience. Come on, man. You lied to yourself. And that's where the issue is. So this is the public shaming of you. One job, man. You had one job. So right now, if we can all in unison say shame over and over again towards him. Shame. 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 You are Shame McMahon. Shame. Shame. Now, did, did either of you watch Game of Thrones? Yes. Okay. So that's where the shame's coming from? Shut up. Don't, don't <laughs> spoil my content. <laughs> I mean, the Game of Thrones. It's uh, It starts Triple H as he tries to conquer other territories. It's all about the shame and how you play it. It's all, That is you, Kevin. <sighs> don't hate the player, hate the shame. I'm just going to do shame puns the rest of the evening. So what do you, so I we want you to publicly apologize to the audience. I am sorry for going forward with misinformation and taking it as fact. One would think in 2020 with social media being the way it was, I would have fact checked first. You are the fake news of this. Me and me and the educator real news. You're the fake news. Who are you? I'm Glass houses, acting like you've never faked something before. I mean, that orgasm, just one time. One time! But a bunch. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I guess we, I mean, how do we even proceed, educator? I don't even know what to do. Should we bring in Crone Meltzer as our third man this week? I mean, when people come to our show, they expect facts. They expect fun in facts, right? right. If they want lies and shame, they go to Sequel Quest. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Sorry. I, like, you just don't I feel bad. I just it. keep picking on them. They're great guys. I I do enjoy Sequel Quest and everything they do. So shout out to Sequel Quest. But a good thing, though, guys, is the educator. Uh, you got a package from Canada. Oh, baby. What did you get? What did you get from Canada? Tell I everyone. May, I may have begun the more thorough process of regathering the Hasbro's. We ended up getting a package of 10 Hasbros from Canada, had them shipped. They came from Toronto. All oh, they were Chicago to Indianapolis, Indianapolis to Buffalo, Buffalo to Rochester, <laughs> Rochester to Syracuse, and finally Syracuse to my hometown. It's crazy. So how many Hasbros did you get? So 10 in the package. Total cost was uh, 168 Canadian. So I think it came to about one tenish or so in American. So how many how many Hasbro's do you have now? Uh, with the ten plus the full demolition set that I got last week, uh, I think I'm up to about thirty-five to forty right now. Nice. nice. 
I like it. Um, I'm running into a snag, guys, on my wrestling buddies. Um, I should have bought the LOD ones uh, before the the hawk yeah. passing or the animal passing, because um, those prices have skyrocketed. <laughs> uh, yeah, the LOD Hasbro's. I probably should have snagged those from the guy who I bought the these Hasbro's recently from. And I uh, went back and messaged him, and yeah, his prices have skyrocketed as well. Yeah, so uh, not cool to profit off a of death for everyone. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Do you, do you think it's okay to say, well, he died, more people want it, supply and demand, so I'm going to have as well? Or do you think it's immoral? Uh, it depends uh, on how they die. Right. If that makes any sense. Like I could give you that. I think it's immoral if it's like murder or Benoit or things like that. that. But if it's I mean it seems like everything too with animal um you know, RIP animal too, by the way. Uh but it just seems like everything for that is is fine because demand does come up when when someone does die. Right. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's tough. But, yeah, Wrestling Buddies, I will get them, and I will get the hawk and the animal. Don't worry about that. But, Kevin, because you shamed us, this week is your week to do the Halloween costumes item of the week. Okay? That okay. is going to be your homework this week. So why don't I throw it to you to tell everyone about our item of the week. Just because you're all grown up doesn't mean you can't still love your favorite cartoons from when you were a kid. Maybe with a little bit of an adult twist. Like the Pokemon-themed adult costumes at HalloweenCostumes.com. You can be a Catch'em Cutie, a Catch-Me Beauty, or even a Shocking Beauty. Ooh, I'll take a peek at you, honey. These costumes and more can be found right through the link on the retro network where you listen to this fine podcast and click that link to get 20% off your your Halloween costume this season. And hey, maybe you should buy more than one costume. One, two, three. There is over 150 Pokemon for you to catch and you're going to have fun all Halloween season unloading all of your Pokeballs to catch them all. And then once again, everyone, use the show notes, click the link to get 20% off your HalloweenCostumes.com item, or use the other link to get 15% off at Fun.com. You know, Halloween's right around the corner. you got to get those orders in to guarantee that they get to you in time for the 31st. But without further ado, let's get right into it. We are talking Halloween Havoc 1990 Terror rules the ring it is october 27th uh 1990 we're in chicago illinois at the uic pavilion it says here about eight thousand people were in attendance and compared to the last uh you know the last show i would have to say the crowd looked a lot fuller yep hot crowd chicago is always always a wrestling town and uh yeah, you know, if, if there ever became, if there ever was, and this was actually mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago on the Arn Anderson podcast, if there ever was like a universally acceptable, like let's wipe them all and just start brand new, a Hall of Fame, a Wrestling Hall of Fame, 
I, I really think the, a neutral city would be Chicago, a great place for it. Because man, crowds are always hot in Chicago for wrestling. So can't have a gig. They can't get enough of it. Where do you? I know there's been talk, obviously, of a WWE, an actual place. Uh, to go visit the Hall of Fame. Do you think at this point they would set that up in Orlando? I would imagine they would as a part of the whole, yeah, performance center, probably an offshoot, same site, maybe a separate building, or maybe they dedicate somewhere to it, you know. I think the rumor was always at Universal Studios at the City Walk, Um, you know, a tourist attraction, that sort of thing. So um, kind of interesting to think about. Uh, but yeah, uh, Kevin, what did you think of this crowd? Did you did, actually, Kevin, did you even watch this show? I watched the, I watched the one match I found online. Oh, okay. No, oh, okay. You know, but, but in that one match, I thought crowd was loud, fantastic, passionate, excited for everything. Kids screaming, adults booing, everything. Loads of fun and, and real genuine crowd sound, not piped in crowd noise. How much fun do you guys think it would be to go to a Halloween wrestling event? I, I mean, I think ever since that. WCW, you know, obviously closed its doors, there really hasn't been a Halloween themed, to my knowledge. I mean, I don't believe TNA has done one, and I don't believe there has been a, f- a full AEW one. I know there was a, 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 an episode where the Young Bucks and Kenny had dressed up as members of Street Fighter. Uh, pretty sure it was right around Halloween, but it wasn't like the entire show was dedicated to a theme or anything like that. So I, I would absolutely dig it. it. It would it would be my jam, so to speak, if that were to happen. So was it a WWE ECW with uh, Colt Cabana as a fairy in the crowd as an extra? Maybe I, I think it was like a, maybe a Raw. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I mean, I think that they do like special Raws f- for Halloween every year, but. And SmackDowns too. If we didn't do a Halloween episode, then we might never know John Cena can rap. And where would we all be without that? Yeah. Um, I'll be curious too what they do this year on SmackDown, seeing it is on the 30th. Uh, how fiend uh, centric that, that show will be. Right. But yeah, why don't we get started right with our intro video Um, instead of the cemetery, which is what we saw last year. We get the haunted mansion Uh, and really uh, I thought it was interesting. The four uh, wrestlers they highlighted in this intro video, I guess they're doing their their top two singles titles uh, really did not feature any tag teams or anything like that. Uh, But the four people in order was Stan Hansen, Sid sting and then lex luger i thought it was a little fascinating that they propped luger up to be the last person shown he's your u.s champion instead of the world champion which was sting uh any reason were they really hot on luger and his push at this point um you know luger had you know ups and downs throughout the year and you know he's just starting in this feud with stan hansen Hansen just coming back from Japan doing a tour now. Uh, they they had run an angle where Stan Hansen had uh, you know beat up on a referee and was uh, had fined and suspended. So you know they're really really pushing an angle where this guy is going to be like impossible to beat and he's got to you know just going to plow over and essentially, you know, run through everybody. And apparently, you know, they're t- hyping the lariat as being, you know, this move from out of nowhere kind of deal. And, 
and we'll discuss that later on in the show tonight. So yeah, you know the main event with you got Sid, former former tag team uh, with the Skyscrapers, now a member of the Horsemen, going for the World Heavyweight Championship, and you've got Stan Hansen now, who is on the scene in WCW from a Japan stint, and is going to be wrestling for the United States title. I mean, this is WCW, so you might be putting a little more thought into the order of the people. It, it very well could have been like, okay, uh, we need an opening video, put pictures of these four guys up, and that was the entire conversation. All right, so we are greeted by our announcers. It is JR, and JR is dressed like he's in the mob, I would say, yeah. um, like like a Chicago mafia maybe. And a new announcer is Paul E. Dangerously, who is dressed like a vampire. Uh, what did you guys think of uh, Paul E. calling some of this uh, this action? Uh, a lot different than, obviously, Bob Cottle on the last pay-per-view, but uh, I thought uh, a young Heyman here. A young Heyman definitely getting the heel announcer vibe that we're so used to. Your typical play-by-play guy and then your heel color commentator. Uh, I thought he had pretty decent chemistry with Jr. Uh, throughout the entire night, and certainly uh, his frustrations with the ending of the world title match were were pretty animated. I, I enjoyed the hell out of the announcing. Um, good chemistry. They both know their facts. They both love wrestling. They're both putting everyone over. They're not getting themselves over first above the wrestlers. Um, if you told me that you know these two call the rest of the action for every Halloween Havoc, I know they don't. I'd be debating sitting down tonight to watch the rest of it just to hear them. I enjoyed them so much. Yeah, and I also thought, too, it was interesting listening to Paul Lee dangerously call it, knowing how good um, of a speaker he is now and how direct he is to hear him. Um, I, I don't want to say as confident as he is now, but he, you know, he didn't have the gravitas that he has now. So it was kind of, uh, fun to see him at, at such a young age here. So, uh, they throw to Tony Schiavone, who's dressed up like the phantom of the opera. I, I just want to throw out, these guys are really getting into their, uh, the Halloween costumes.com costumes. And I love every second of it. The thing that really threw me off with Tony Schiavone was the lipstick for yes, the character. It was like really pronounced. And every time he was on camera, I just I could not look. It was just drawing you right in like what in the world? So crazy seeing him in lipstick. I honestly thought it was like an issue with the settings on my TV at first. It was fantastic. Um, so he's interviewing Ricky Morton and Wildfire Tommy Rich, getting ready for our first match of the evening. And we get right into Ricky Morton and Wildfire Tommy Rich teaming up to take on the Midnight Express with Jim Cornette. Uh, what did you guys think of this opener? Uh, I think it was a pretty solid opener for what it was. Uh, you know, Ricky Morton trying to play the sympathy for Robert Gibson being injured. Commentary suggests that he is out with a knee injury and he just recently had surgery and is probably going to be out for almost a good part of the rest of the year and the next uh, few months in 91. So we've got a substituting Tommy Rich trying to fulfill the role for the, you know, modified version of the rock and roll versus the Midnight Express. Pretty good match crowd. Very much into it. Uh, Cornette always is funny and animated to watch what he does with his annex. Clear heels, clear faces, clear storyline, action, drama, a build up to something, opening match, perfect. 
perfect opening match to get everyone excited for the night. Oh, wow. Perfect. Interesting uh, choice of words there, Kevin. wonder how perfect it's going to be if I reach out for the hot tag already. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's no. right, folks. Are we going to do the hot tag uh, educator? Are you breaking this one down or is Kevin Hellions breaking this down? I think we're going to start this one with myself here. So we start out with Bobby Eaton and, and Ricky Morton in the ring. Bobby Eaton gets a successful hip toss into Ricky Morton twice as they're starting to feel each other to start off the match. Bobby Eaton tries to do uh, climbs to the top rope and tries to do an axe handle off the top. But Ricky Morton gives him a shot to the gut as he's coming down. Uh, Ricky Morton gets a unique double team maneuver from both members of the Midnight Express, where essentially Bobby uh, whips him into the ropes. Bobby does a back body drop, but then Stan Lane catches him for a unique like power slam. Uh, and it got a pretty good crowd pop. Bobby Eaton then climbs to the top rope as Ricky Morton is out to the floor and he jumps off of the turnbuckle towards the floor. It just it seemed awkward. He didn't really connect too, too well with Ricky Morton, but he was maybe channeling his inner Macho Man Randy Savage. I'm not sure. But leap off the top rope attempted for, a, you know, double axe handle sledge, but only one of his arms connected. Uh, while the ref is being distracted in the ring, we see Jim Cornette's first involvement in the match as he jabs Ricky Morton in the throat with his racket as Morton's trying to recover on the floor. As Ricky Morton tries to get in the ring, uh, Stan Lane has tagged in and Ricky Morton attempts to do a sunset flip over the ropes uh, back onto Stan Lane. Bobby Eaton does interfere and breaks up the pinfall attempt. Stan Lane slams Ricky Morton on the ramp as we're outside of the ring. And then we set up for the rocket launcher that throw uh, splash off the top rope. And Stan Lane launches Eaton off the top rope onto the ramp itself for a splash onto uh, Ricky Morton. Ricky Morton finally gets back into the, into the ring, attempts to do a roll up, like almost like a backland bridge like roll up onto Stan Lane. But Bobby Eaton breaks up the pinfall attempt again with a twisting neckbreaker. Uh, again, with the referee behind, uh, not paying attention, his back turn. We see Jim Cornette uh, hitting Ricky Morton again with a tennis racket. Bobby Eaton slams Morton and hits an amazing-looking top rope Alabama jam leg drop. Got huge, huge crowd response. Uh, commentary discussed on why isn't Bobby Eaton going for the pinfall. Must be the Midnights are trying to humiliate Ricky Morton. Instead, uh, Bobby Eaton waited for Morton to be counted out, but Morton was able to uh, get to his feet by a standing eight count. There was a second rocket launcher attempt onto Ricky Morton in the ring, but this time when Stan Lane launched, uh, uh, Launch Bobby Eaton off the top rope. Ricky Morton lifts up his knees, so ends up splashing his knees. Uh, and as a result, he's able to finally get over to Tommy Rich to get the hot tag. We see Bob, uh, Tommy Rich body slamming Bobby Eaton. He attempts to do the Fez press, but only gets a two count. Tommy Rich then climbs to the top rope, which is kind of uncharacteristic for him. Uh, but as the ref referee's back is turned, Jim Cornette slams uh, his tennis racket into the back of Tommy Rich that causes him to spill back into the ring. Then we all of a sudden see the Southern boys come down to the ring, Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong, and they are dressed up in spoof uh, costumes that are making fun of to mock Jim Cornette. In the ensuing ruckus of all the guys in the ring, 
Tommy Rich is able to finally uh, get the pinfall on a member of the Midnight Express. He picks up Cornette's tennis racket that's somehow in the middle of the ring, and he uh, hits Stan Lane in the back with the tennis racket and scores the pinfall. One, two, three win for the face team, the makeshift Rock and Roll Express of Ricky Morton and Tommy Rich. I actually had a lot of notes for this. Shocked it wasn't the Kevin match of the week. So because it's first opening here, a couple of things. Last episode, I mentioned that I was looking forward to the runway or hoping the runway showed up at some point in the Halloween Havoc series. And here it is. I thought it added a lot across the evening. Um, One of the only problems with that runway is it cuts off a quarter of the ring because you can't run around the ring. You got to find some way over that runway, which Cornette did. And he's like stumbling and crawling over to get to the other side of it. Um, which is, you know, a problem that, uh, you know, anytime you use that runway, uh, red ring canvas was very interesting. To see, it's almost as red as Tony Schiavone's lipstick was. I don't know what happened here. Midnight Express looks amazing. Bobby Heaton, of course, always a great tag team wrestler. Stan Lane, just from us seeing him on last one, seems inc- so improved. Like, it really seems like he's putting it all together. He's enjoying himself. His martial arts moves actually look like maybe martial arts moves and not just talk. But he he's just exuding charisma for this whole thing. Ricky Morton, of course, incredible tag team wrestler. Takes a beating like you wouldn't believe. So good. Did Tommy Rich fall asleep during this match? Like, he does nothing. Absolutely nothing until he's tagged in, finally. Well, speaking of tag, it looked like Stan Lane stiff hit him to get him to wake up. (laughs) To, like, you know, come in like, oh, I I gotta come in and save my partner here and do something. If you're the man on the outside and you're building, building, building for the hot tag, you gotta start doing something to you know run in the ring and then you're the one that distracts the ref like something's gotta happen here and he's doing nothing he looked tommy rich looked better than he did the previous halloween havoc at least like i mean he didn't look amazing but he looked better what i loved a lot for the announcing here with jim ross and paul Heyman, ross's history lessons and getting over every part of what's going on here's why these two teams are fighting here's why robert gibson isn't here here's what's going on and all this match is 30 years old and i'm caught up like i've been watching everything wcw for the last couple months like i am fully caught up in the story even though i'm only watching this one pay-per-view i thought they did amazing it's almost treating like every wrestling pay-per-view like it's someone's like stan lee would do for someone's comic every comic could be someone's first one they need to know what they're getting into here it's a lot of fun other than tommy rich of course uh do you know what the match of the or the move of the match was japanese head scissors because apparently they didn't know what hurricane rana was yet correct so it's actually called it's, japanese head scissors. and they weren't going to call it a frankensteiner because it's you know right because it's exactly not him doing it idea now do you think that that 10 count was a mistake did someone mess up did the timing go wrong jim ross covers it very well saying oh they're they're purposely going for this 10 count because it's about humiliation it's not about getting the pinfall right 
like it just seems so out of place and weird to do here i wonder if someone missed a cue or whatever and they're like i can't have him kick out of this move i hit it perfectly oh the alabama jam was amazing it it looks so good but maybe it was like all right i can't pin him because he's not like that's not the ending but i gotta do something to kill time here so let's just go with this very fun match i thought it was great opening match Loads of fun. I'm all I'm all ready for the night. I hope there's more tag team action tonight. Oh, there is. Don't well, you worry. Is, um, <laughs> the uh, the one thing about this match that I, I really did enjoy is what are the things that you've you've learned? Like, like over the years, you've learned that Ricky Morton is great at selling and he's reaching out and trying to get the fans involved and you, you want to just help him. Right. And he does a tremendous job with the beatdown from the Midnights. Uh, the Midnights also, to me, have a swagger about them right. during this mm-hmm. match that I didn't see on the previous Halloween Havoc, but I saw it on this one. And it just made me want to dig deeper into their catalog. Um, and I think if you show this to any non-wrestling fan, those those are two big things that they will get out. Is Number one, that Ricky Morton will sell like a mother. I mean, he's just fantastic. Right. And that the Midnights are a fun, uh, cocky team to watch. And, you know, you just want to see more of them. And, and that's what I got out of this match. Right. Their final heel run before they left, because they leave very soon after this pay-per-view. Like in the next month or so, I remember listening to Cornette's podcast and the whole story with Ole Anderson as the booker and, them going to a set of tapings at center stage and the very first night they're they're not even booked in tag matches it's all singles matches for stan lane and they're getting and and they're all getting and midnights are getting jobbed out and blah 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 and cornet just you know we're done that's it we're gone or, or, or Ole Anderson says something on the lines if you don't like how it is leave and cornet's like you know what that's the best idea you've ever had and they walk out and Stan Lane's like, Jimmy, where are you going? And he's like, screw this place. I'm out of here. And he's like, you know what? I'm coming with you. And so they leave. And I guess like an hour or two later, Ole finds Bobby Eaton, who, you know, had to stay stick around because he's got a family and whatnot. And he's like, well, where are the other guys? And Bobby's like, I think they left. <laughs> and then they, they really legitimately left. Cornette had Smoky Mountain, I guess, kind of. The plans were in the works. And. Stan Lane was was ready to you know take a little bit of a break, and then he ended up being involved with Smoky Mountain as well. So very very cool. Um, so following that up, we cut to Tony Schiavone who is interviewing Sting, and um, then the Black Scorpion comes out. He steals a woman, and then he's in two places at once. Um, what what is going on in this segment, guys? A whole lot of Russell crap. That's what's going on. Aww. You got Ole Anderson on the mic doing the voice of the Black Scorpion. You've got two different guys under hoods for the magic show. And if, if you look closely, I'm pretty sure the the woman that was dragged in, it was two women doing it. They're similar looking maybe, but I don't think it was the same person at all. Definitely wrestle crap. How old do you think the woman that they pulled out of the crowd is? Teenage, early 20s? I have no idea. Probably in her early 20s. Okay, the match is 30 years old. Nope, nope. That means it's definitely not the twins I'm thinking of. Oh. (laughs) 
Would this be one of the uh, first instances of twin magic, Educator? Stop it. When do they pay off the Black Scorpion? Uh, Starcade. Uh, they don't. <laughs> the next month? they they yeah, At the Starcade pay-per-view. And isn't it like uh, Flair? It's Flair. It's, they finally decided they're going to make it that it was Flair. The original plan wasn't going to be Flair. At one point, they were it was going to be Al Perez, and then that didn't pan out when he legitimately started working under the mask, and it just didn't work out. And they just they never had a clear plan in sight after the Al Perez thing f- fell through, and they just decided to go with Flair. And Heard finally got what he wanted. Flair ended up having to shave his head to fit it under the mask, so it wouldn't have been so super obvious. Uh, and uh, yeah. They they did the angle at Starcade and you know Sting ended up winning and retaining, but then ended up losing the title to Flair at like a house show. I think it was in like Uniondale, New York, or something like that uh, in January. Yeah, you almost think they, they would have um, stopped the like the Scorpion gimmick at the Halloween Havoc should have right. been the blow off instead of your your big. Event at yeah, because this was the but. only thing that we see. At least the VHS, this is the only thing we hear at the Black Scorpion. And then we get to match number two, technically, on our card. But uh, if Kevin would have watched what he said he was going to do, uh, we would have seen Bill Irwin take on Terry Taylor and J.W. Storm take on Brad Armstrong. And we would have saw the Master Blasters take on the Southern Boys. But all three of those matches have been cut on the WWE Network version of this. And that gets us to what is our second match on the card, uh, which is the Renegade Warriors taking on the fabulous Freebirds with Little Richard Marley. So uh, what did you guys think of this, uh, our second match of the evening? Uh, This was tough to sit through. The Freebirds are definitely over with the crowd. The crowd is practically silent on any offense of from either renegade warrior. Uh, thank goodness. The finish was the finish to get the crowd to pop. And uh, the one, two, three. I, I mean, if there's anything they're a renegade against, it's getting over with the crowd. Bad. So bad. You know, watching the Freebirds now. And I know back then they were very, what they were doing was very honest and earnest, but it, it comes off as, ironic now like they know like like they're it's hard to explain like you feel i wonder if this gimmick would work now if the person's like in on the joke right but back then that was them I, yeah Does that i make didn't sense? like what the the direction they went when they first brought jimmy garvin in and they were doing the, their tag run, and they were world tag champions, and, and Terry Gordy was actually still with them in 89. Um, I liked that version of the Freebirds. When they started to do the eyeshadow stuff and, like, the glitzy clothes, like Michael Hayes with the with his gear on, and then eventually Jimmy Jam Garvin had, had a pair just like that with the – the, the rhinestones and the suspenders and all that stuff. That gear was not very flattering on Michael Hayes whatsoever. Um, it, it just, when they started to go that route, I just, I wasn't a fan of it whatsoever. They ended up having a face turn probably in 92 ish or so um, after their second run as tag champions. Um, but yeah, 
they're really they're just starting to get into this weird phase that I I wasn't too too very fond of. So, I but mean, the crowd was super hot for them. Crowd loves them. Crowd has always loved Freebirds, even when they're hated, they're loved, which can only make sense in wrestling. Um, they're doing the rock star thing. Okay. We're going to have, what do rock stars doing? Well, some of them have glitter. Some of them have these coats. Some of them have capes. Some of them are doing face makeup. Some of them are dyeing their hair. Let's do it all. No, do one. When you're doing all of this, it looks like a mess. It looks like a joke. It looks like you're faking. It looks like you're copying. You don't look innovative anymore. You look like um, the, the Steve Buscemi meme of what's up fellow teenagers. You know, like, that's what they look like here. But if they did one thing, they've looked cool. So, uh, but why don't we go ahead and break down the match? Going to keep the hand to myself and take this one as well. Match starts off with Chris Youngblood uh, towards the start, hitting a double clothesline on both Freebirds near the start of the match. Chris Youngblood attempts to do a roll-up on Jimmy Garvin, very similar to the Backland Bridge, but as Garvin kicks out, pushes Chris Youngblood towards the Freebird corner, and we see a violent left hand from Michael Hayes pounding uh, the flesh of Chris Youngblood. We see a lot of heelish moves uh, given to Chris Youngblood, lots of frequent tags in and outs and double team maneuvers by the Freebirds. We start to hear a lot of audible chants of the crowd wanting for DDT, DDT. They already want this match to be over. At one point, Michael Hayes telegraphs a DDT attempt by trying to get the crowd all hyped up into it, only to get essentially back body dropped by Chris Youngblood. Chris Youngblood hits a running cross body for a two count bounding off of the ropes. Hayes is slammed off the top rope by Chris Youngblood as he attempts to jump off. He gets caught. Chris Youngblood body slams him. Chris Youngblood finally gets the hot tag to Mark Youngblood. And the crowd is just dead silent. No response whatsoever. After a few offensive maneuvers with Mark Youngblood, we get all four men brawling in the ring. As there is an attempt of a roll-up behind the ref's back, uh, Hayes, uh, as Jimmy Jam Garvin is being pinned by Mark Youngblood, Hayes sneaks into the ring, hits a DDT, and uh, Garvin's able to put his drape his arm over Youngblood for the one-two-three pinfall. Great work by Jim Ross and Paul Heyman again for this match. Freebirds seem like full heels here. They don't seem like they're trying to be cool heels, which uh, maybe in a way could explain some of the the appearance and the gimmicks they're going for. Like, let's give you reason to hate us, to think we look dumb, to get booze. Um, I think that's like Chris Jericho is the best modern example of I'm going to have something that looks stupid just so you hate that and hate me even more. Uh, the Freebird teamwork's incredible. Like, certainly compared to Renegade Warriors, but their teamwork's great. Um, Renegade Warriors, though, compared to Morton and Rich in the previous match, at least they're going with the hot tag buildup and saving your partner and running in and, oh, the referee didn't see the tag and all. Like, at least they're doing something right. to build up some drama during the match. Um, but then for the hot tag michael hayes goes up top and he just hands the hot tag on a silver platter to them 
like, all right, I'm going to go up top and I'm going to just take my sweet ass time here for you to knock me down and get your hot tag in so we can move forward with this match. It, it It's having a Hall of Fame great tag team and someone that looks fresh in the door trying to be on the same level. And it's just not happening. The Freebirds are so beyond Renegade Warriors level here. Um, That DDT is great, though. Yeah. And the buildup for it and all, like, that was impressive as hell. Very much. I love the Freebirds work here. I just wish it was against a different team so they could have been spotlighted and look better. Yeah. And then we follow that up with Tony Giovanni talking with the horsemen while some of the horsemen. Um, we get double A Arn Anderson, Rick Flair, and Sid. Who was the fourth horseman at this point? Barry Wyndham. Oh, I wonder if we'll see him later in the night. Be interesting. <laughs> Will be interesting to see. We followed that up with match number three for us, and also the third tag match of the evening. It is the Nasty Boys taking on the Frankensteiner brothers. Uh, of course, you got to make that joke for Halloween Havoc here. Um, this is for the United States tag titles. Uh, do you guys remember the United States tag titles really that much? And what kind of lineage did they did they have not being the world tag champions, but kind of like the IC tag belt? Uh, it was uh, a, a good secondary title. There were definitely enough tag teams to justify having this secondary tier championship. Um, very commonly held with the Midnight Express, the Fantastics. Uh, at one point, members of the Varsity Club had... Uh, these tag championships as well. The Freebirds had a run with the with the United States Tag Team Championship uh, during the mid to late '80s and er, the very early '90s. This was a great secondary title because there were enough tag teams to justify having this uh, moving forward. Eventually, when in the Bill Watts era of booking WCW and being a face. Um, he, he kind of looked at it as, you know, more doesn't always mean great. And he ended up, uh, eventually, uh, causing these titles to eventually phase out, so to speak. And the last tag team champions were anybody know Greg, the hammer Valentine and the barbarian. Really? Yes. That's an odd pairing. It was. <laughs> but I mean, looking at the tag teams on the show, you got enough tag team potential and enough over tag teams, whether it's faces or heels, you could main event a show anywhere in the country with a tag match. There's enough guys here that people would pay to see. If you got that many tag teams, you could the you have a main event scene for them. Why not at a secondary title? It makes sense. Now, it's no six-man tag title, which they also had at one point. And I know how much Educator loves, you know, having multiple titles. But this one makes sense. If you have a deep roster in a division, it makes sense to have a secondary title to give people something to rise up to. I, uh, you know what? Thinking back, I, I, I need to stand corrected on myself. I actually combined two offshoot tag teams as saying that they were the final champions. Uh, Greg Valentine was a tag champion. One of the last few, he actually was a tag champion with Terry Taylor as the Taylor made man. 
they lost the championships to the Freebirds. And then at the very end of the uh, Freebirds title reign, uh, it was the Barbarian and Dick Slater who were the final champions. That still seems odd. It's still, yeah, very odd. And, and that's, that's exactly it. Terry Taylor and Greg Valentine. You got Dick Slater and the Barbarian. These are makeshift singles guys that are just being thrown together. And they're challenging and winning these championships. That's essentially why they were phased out. Did Terry Taylor and Greg Valentine make more sense to me, though, than Dick Slater and Barbarian? I don't know why, but it it would it would make sense to me if Terry Taylor wasn't doing the tailor made man gimmick and was still doing the flashy robe that he had because, you know, Valentine was always known for the flashy robes. But now that he's doing the, you know, the Kmart version of the million dollar man gimmick, you know, it was kind of weird. This has to be, too, so far, I mean, these first three matches that we've seen, I mean, you got the Midnight Express, you know, basically, you know, the Rock and Roll Express, obviously, with with Tommy Rich in there, the Freebirds, now you got the Snyder Brothers and Nasty Boys. I mean, this is the the most stacked tag division we've seen by far, not even close. Yeah, Yeah. and not too earlier than that, we had the Fantastics, and we had a few, and we had the, you know, the Russians. Russian assassin. I mean, I mean, it was a really, really late Jim Crockett before they, you know, turned into WCW. Had a really stacked deep tag division, Legion of Doom. You know, the Varsity Club. Lots and lots. All right, so why don't we go ahead and uh, break this one down? We're gonna break this down, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna take this match because this is. The Educators Match of the Night. This is my call for Match of the Night for the list. So the Nasty Boys get their entrance to the ring, and then the Steiners uh, get their entrance, and the Steiners decide to charge the ring, and an all-out brawl begins, and eventually all four spill out on the floor. We see Jerry Sags hitting Scott Steiner in the back, in the back of the head with a chair on the floor. Eventually, uh, Scott Steiner and Jerry Sags get back in the ring. Jerry Sags sets Steiner up on the top rope as if he's going to do a superplex. But Scott is able to slip out of the superplex. He climbs up to the second rope and does a very sick-looking belly-to-belly suplex and just tosses Jerry Sags over, uh, flipping right over into the ring. Absolutely crazy. We see Scott Steiner hit. His version of the double underhook powerbomb, we commonly refer to it as the Pearl River Plunge Powerbomb to Jerry Sags. The Steiners do uh, the Doomsday Bulldog off the top rope where Scott picks up Jerry Sags on his shoulders and Rick comes off the top rope and hits the Bulldog. This is the same maneuver that uh, a few years later would cause injury to Marcus Bagwell, uh, neck injury that caused him to uh, be partially paralyzed for a bit. Nobbs ends up hitting Scott Steiner with a chair in the ring uh, during a pinfall attempt when the referee's back was turned as a way to break up a possible pin. Ryan Nobbs hits a scoop power slam to Scott Steiner, who is rebounding off of the ropes, and he gets a two count off of that power slam. We see Jerry Sags tag back in, and he does a pump handle slam to Scott Steiner. Picks up Scott Steiner, no problem whatsoever, and Scott Steiner was a thick, thick jacked guy. So pretty impressed with uh, Sags' physical strength here. 
We see Jerry Sags with a gut wrench power bomb that was referred to as a Salto slam by Jim Ross to Scott Steiner. Brian Nobbs does an abdominal stretch to continue to work on Scott Steiner's lower back as they're targeting the back now uh, throughout the match. We see Jerry Sags with a bear hug, and he ends up pick up picking up Scott and almost ragdolling him back and forth. Kind of reminded me a little bit of China ragdolling uh, Terry Runnels uh, when they originally were introduced as, as their feud here. Uh, Brian Nobbs attempts to prevent the tag uh, to Rick. Uh, but Rick ends up getting into the ring and trying to uh, break up any offense from the Nasty Boys. And Rick hits a vicious, vicious clothesline or Steiner line to Brian Nobbs. Brian Nobbs hits a spike pile driver or the Nasty Boys together with Brian Nobbs doing the sit out per, uh, portion. Hits a spike pile driver to Scott Steiner. Rick Steiner comes in and hits Sags in the, uh, in the head. Uh, to break up the pinfall cover again when the ref was turned. Brian Sags or Jerry Sags uh, from that hit, um, when Rick Steiner hit Sags, he hit him with a chair and actually hit Sags in a way that caused him to be busted open. And we actually visibly see Jerry Sags busted open the matches. He's doing a camel clutch uh, later on uh, or, or a Boston Crab later on to Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner does power out of this camel clutch and causes Sags to get thrown forward. Brian Nobbs runs in and makes the save to prevent Scott Steiner from getting a tag to his brother. Scott Steiner hits an inverted atomic drop to Jerry Sags. Nobbs and Sags attempt to do an Irish whip maneuver uh, into the corner where Nobbs does a running flying splash, but Scott Steiner was able to move out of the way, so Nobbs crashes basically into the top turnbuckle. As Scott gets out of the way, he's able to crawl over and finally get the hot tag to Rick, who comes in like crazy, just Steiner lines each of the nasty boys. Rick hits a belly-to-belly suplex to Knobs and gets a two-count. Both Steiners are eventually tossed outside of the ring, and Rick climbs to the top rope and does a double clothesline to both of the nasty boys when he comes back in. The nasty boys eventually recover, and continue to work on Scott Steiner and essentially double slam him over the top rope onto the floor. Scott makes his way eventually back into the ring and hits Knobs with a Frankensteiner. And the way that that Frankensteiner was hit and Knobs tumbling over, he just basically spiked himself into the canvas. Scott Steiner with the Frankensteiner and the pin. One, two, three for the victory. Post-match, we see the Nasty Boys frustrated with their loss. They attack the Steiners who were celebrating. They grab their U.S. tag belts and start beating up, uh, smashing the belts over both of the Steiners. Eventually, Rick Steiner is tossed out onto the floor, and the Nasty Boys toss Rick Steiner's shoulder first into the post a couple of times, and then they scurry away when Scott attempts to recover and... uh, you know, break up the carnage that they're doing to Rick. I agree with educator. This is match of the night. So good. Um, if we, cause I, I didn't expect to include nasty boys for a match of the night at any point here. Okay. So <laughs> I never knew that the nasty boys were in shape. They looked phenomenal. This is, they're just jumping in from their AWA run. And, oh, my God, they look fantastic. It's crazy to think, okay, this is Halloween. Knobs or, or Jerry Sags is an entrant 
in the Royal Rumble a few months later. Is he really? It was That's how quick? quick the turnaround is. Absolutely. Yeah, and Nasty Boys are winning the tag titles at WrestleMania the, from the hearts. We're, like, here we are, October, WCW. They're challenging for the tag team championships. They're winning the titles from the Hart Foundation in, in, in March in L.A. at WrestleMania like, 7. They look so good here. Uh, I, my new goal might be to get into 1990 Nasty Boy shape. <laughs> Let me see if I can do that now. Um, it's it, it starts off hot. It starts off like a fight. They're both going all out. I don't know if it's like both teams upset with where they are, upset they're not in the that this is US tag and not the world tag, and they're purposely trying to steal the show, purposely trying to look amazing. It's just so good. I didn't expect it. And geez, you know, we we noticed it before how well the Nasty Boys also take a beating and how well they make the face team look. God, the Steiners beat the hell out of them. Oh, they were potatoing the hell out of each other. It was crazy. But they took it. And yeah. Bumped it. Oh, and didn't back God. down whatsoever. Nothing. Nothing. So much fun. Um, now I'm just getting opened by that chair shot's disgusting. Yeah. It's so gross. And then they're like, oh, he's got a bit of a laceration. I was like, does he? But then he locks on that Boston Crab later. I'm like, oh, he does. No, he was, it, it was almost not as bad as Austin WrestleMania 13, but no, he, he definitely had a lot of color. Yeah. Sags and, definitely had a lot of color. And, and crazy cruiserweight level spot here of the superplex attempt the reversal out of it and then a super belly-to-belly suplex off of it right those are big dudes there's like physics alone this shouldn't happen scott steiner looks stupid big and and that neon yellow singlet is, is just crazy it's incredible and then credit to the announcers credit to the work going on in the ring they built a story around attacking Scott Steiner's back. They made the bear hug look like an important part of the match and a painful move. And the bear hug is such a like rest hold, you know, doesn't matter move at this point in wrestling, I think. But man, they brought it back to it being an important, devastating move for the match. Everyone puts it over. So well done. Uh, Scott, okay. I don't know how much was, uh, um, on Nobbs' side and how much was Scott Steiner's side, but him flipping out of the Boston Crab, like just using his leg strength to push him out, like that's absurd. That's an absurd amount of strength for your legs. Even however much Nobbs may have helped with the move, that's crazy. Uh, in the Freebirds match, they did a, uh, Gary Michael Capetta announced 15 minutes have passed. And I'm like, there's no way 15 minutes have passed in this match. Like five minutes have passed in this match. Nothing's right. happened. This match, when they announced 15 minutes, I'm like, yeah, yeah, a lot's happened already. Yeah. I doubt in my mind 15 minutes gone by in this match. Best hot tag of the night. God, that was such a good, well drawn out hot tag for it. So good. Steiner line sick. Frankensteiner sick. Yeah. And then that post match beatdown was great. I mean, right. Everything about it. So good. Such a great match. 
Yeah, I would agree. This match was awesome. <laughs> I was, and I was shocked. I think I was shocked as much as you guys were with when I saw the nasty boys. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. I, I know the nasty boys, and I was like, oh, I, maybe I don't know the don't nasty know boys. the young, yeah. just post AWA nasty boys. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, just a great match, and it, it, it was my match of the night too. So love it. No surprise there. We're all in agreement. Also, too, that ending Frankensteiner, I thought Knobs like almost murdered himself. Oh, it was crazy. The way he landed on his neck. Just dove right over. Crazy. When when it first happened, you're like, that didn't look great. And then that slow motion replay, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. That's awful. Why is he not not like botch? Yeah, it's not awful botch. It's awful. Like, I saw someone get hurt. Right. (laughs) yeah yeah and then uh yeah yeah. it was was, it's a great match um so we follow that up with tony shivani interviewing scott steiner afterwards and then did you guys know that sags is a master of disguise um and i did have to look this up because i was like there's no way that he got into a costume and then came out and beat up steiner and the reasoning was in between this there was another match that kevin was supposed to um, supposed to cover, but of course, Shame McMahon showed up, and uh, that would have been the Moon Dog Rex versus the Junkyard Dog match was in between. So there was about five minutes of time where um, he could have changed into the costume and attacked. So, so, but I think on that note, why don't we take a quick little commercial break? Promotional consideration paid for by the following. This October, the Retro Network presents the TRN Haunted Halloween. 31 days and nights of spooky-themed fun from pop culture's past and present. A full month of podcasts, videos, online features, and giveaways to make the hair on your neck stand up. TRN's Haunted Halloween will also haunt your social media channels with even more shocking goodies. Get the full experience by dropping into the TRN VIP lounge for more bone-chilling excitement than you can handle. Subscribe to the Retro Network podcast channel wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the TRN YouTube page. Follow TRN on your favorite social media channel at TRN Social. And visit theretronetwork.com daily for all the chills and thrills. There's no tricks, only treats as the Retro Network presents the TRN Haunted Halloween all month long in October. Hello, everyone. It is Maddie Treats from the House Show podcast. And uh, if you're like me, you're still not over the fact that Kevin Hellions lied to us. He lied to me. He lied to you. He lied to all of us. He's brought great shame on our podcast and to himself. So um, the best way for me to process what I'm feeling is to sing about it so uh, I hope you're listening Kevin we all had first class tickets now all we hear are 
your lies and crickets. We were sailing together on the friendship, but you went overboard with your lying quips. You were supposed to watch the extended Halloween Havoc, but you lied to us and we just can't have it. You've become Shame McMahon in our McMahon family. So I guess I'm Vince and that makes the educator Stephanie. Shame. So shame. 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 Shame on you, Mast Library. Shame. So shame. 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 Shame on you, Kevin Hellions. Shame. 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 All right, guys, we are back. And it is time for a another tag match. <laughs> I mean, they're just We've loading just up the tag coming. matches here. Uh, we are going to go for the NWA World Tag Team Championship match, uh, which sees Ric Flair and Double A Arn Anderson taking on Doom with teddy long or theodore r long uh what did you guys think of this one i thought out of all the matches we have watched this one would have been better if there was a well-defined face in this Mm -hmm. match because it's a heel versus heel team and you don't really know who to root for right Uh not that the action was bad the action's good it's a good tag match but it would have been better with a face and and a heel arn anderson my opinion is probably this is the like physique wise like the best he's ever looked in his career he he was just ready to go and he had no problem keeping up with the big guys of doom and just you know you know keeping it right to him no matter what you know yeah, it, it was weird that f- watching Flair being relegated to a tag guy in the in the Horseman in the grand scheme of things because we're so used to Flair being in the main event, being in the world title picture. Uh, but that's certainly reserved for Sid for this night. And you know, they're just trying some things out. They're still not f- understanding where what direction the Black Scorpion character is going, and and so on. But. Uh, one thing that stood out for me is I never realized how much I really like these NWA tag team championship belts. I thought they were really good looking, really, really sharp looking, classy looking belts. And uh, yeah, I've now become a fan of these championships. Like I know what tag match was the best of the night. I know which one I thought was worse of the night. I don't know what's two and three. Cause I, I, I like this. I like the opener, but there's issues with both. But uh, I got it was this match when I saw everyone come out. I'm like, all right, what the heck's this gonna be? It was better than I expected. It was a lot better match than I thought when I saw everyone come out. 
I was not expecting much of Ric Flair tag team wrestler. Definitely. It's different to see Flair as a tag wrestler. It almost makes you wonder how else they could have booked the show right. if he would have been in a singles match. I mean, you got Hanson and, and you know, uh, Luger going, so he couldn't have inserted himself in the U.S. title picture. Obviously, with Sid being in the championship match and the other singles title, Art Anderson has, even though we don't see it on TV, he's he's announced as the television champion. So, yeah, I mean, unless there was uh, some other grudge match, but I don't remember the storyline leading up to this, how the Horsemen and Doom started feuding with one another post Sting, you know, losing the or Sting winning the world championship from Flair. Um, at the Great American Bash in 1990. So it must have been something that happened at Fall Brawl uh, or Clash of the Champions or whatever. So, yeah, here we are. Tag Team Championship match. Ric Flair and Arn Anderson challengers to doom. All right. So why don't we go ahead and uh, break this one down for us? Hot tag to Kevin Allian. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the Kevin straight out of Hellion's Halloween Havoc breakdown. I honestly didn't think it was going to be this match. Okay. Gotta keep Rick. you on your toes, man. <laughs> I honestly thought it was going to be Stan Hansen because of the jaw. But anyways. Ric Flair and Arn Anderson versus Doom, the tag team champions, with Theodore R. Long. Since the last Halloween Havoc, Doom has no mask and no woman. Check out the strength and speed of young Ron Simmons. Arn suplexes Ron Simmons. Ron no-sells and pops up. Are Doom the faces here? Heyman with a good history lesson on Ric Flair. Flair and Anderson realize they're the physically weaker team here. Flair and Simmons fight the length of the runway. Horsemen wait for one mistake, then take control. Ron Simmons, as the younger wrestler, takes the beating. The Horsemen have tired out Doom. Arn Anderson gives extra leverage for the figure four. Simmons, Ron Simmons powers up, reverses the figure four. Arn Anderson in. Arn Anderson gets leverage too. Sunset flip, blind tag, Ric Flair is in. Ron Simmons gets the hot tag at the last moment. Shoulder block from the top. Flair breaks it up. Second pin attempt, but only two for Doom. Both teams counted out. That's it? That's it. Boy, that was something. <laughs> One of my frustrations I have with this match is mid-match, uh, the, the, everything's thrown out in terms of who's the legal guy and pinfall attempts uh, that are capable of happening. At one point when Flair is the legal man, Arn Anderson ends up taking that that shoulder block off the top rope and there's a pinfall attempt on him after Flair had just literally tagged in. And then same thing with uh, Butch Reed not being the legal man and an, an attempt of a pinfall on him as well. So this one, one of my frustrations with the match is not the ending itself because, yeah, you, you don't want either team to lose. You don't want the horsemen to lose because they've been such a prominent member, but you also you don't want to take the belts off of Doom. So the Smaj double countout finish, I didn't have a frustration with that. It's just the booking of how the pinfalls and just anybody was able to pin anyone 
it's just inconsistent. And then there, same thing when we get to the main event. There's something I'm frustrated about, but uh, we'll get there eventually. I mean, the double count out, it's the only time it's used. Other than main event, it's only screwy ending. It's not the main event with the screwy ending, too. So it's kind of okay. It makes sense here. No, I don't know. I mean, I did not like the double count out. Um, it's a pay-per-view. Um, I think, I don't know. It just came off as, oh, it's just such a air out of the building deflating moment. Yeah. Okay. For what had been a really good match. Who would you have take the fall, though, here? Arn. I'd, I'd pin Arn. Or Flair. No, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd have Arn take the fall in that because his TV title's not on the line being in the tag match. And, you know, you're not going to pin Flair. I would have, or you could have Flair take the fall because he's not a tag wrestler. Right. Like, I, I think the problem comes in with they're both heels, but Doom seems to assume the face role because really the good the thing would be have Teddy Long or someone from Doom hit Arn with the tag titles, and then they get the pinfall. Right. But they're acting like the faces in this match, so they can't really do that. But between like like you're saying with um everyone's in who's legal who isn't doesn't seem to matter there's spots on here that would be completely differently done with we'll say the lucha tag rules whoever's in the ring is the legal man right or if the concept of a three-way match was happening at this time like this doom versus flair and anderson that'd be a great one to throw in a random third team to be the one to take the fall right so the other two can still look strong down, I mean, this isn't the end of this Horseman versus Doom feud. Down the road, I, I don't recall exactly what happened. They they figure out a way to write Flair out, and they replace Flair with Barry Windham. And I believe at Starcade, it's Barry Windham and Arn Anderson again challenging Doom. And maybe that was, well, that's, you know, you're no longer taking on the same pair of the Horsemen, so that's how they're able to get a tag match again or something like that. But when they finally decide that they're going to put Flair under the hood for the Black Scorpion, they come up with a way. I don't remember if it was an injury angle or what, but they get Flair off off TV for a few weeks, um, and eventually they bring him back in as you know being the foil at at Starcade in the cage against Sting. So under the hood for the Black Scorpion. All right, so we follow that up with Stan Hansen, and he's spitting on a pumpkin. He's got, of course, that big uh, piece of chew in his mouth, and it's a great promo. I loved every second yeah, of this quick little uh, stinger here. Um, and then we get into match five, which is our co-main event of the evening, and it is for the NWA United States Championship. It is Stan Hansen taking on Lex Luger. Um, so what did you guys think of this match? And, uh, you know, educator, I think you brought up the Lariat being a move that could be hit out of, uh, nowhere pretty much. It's crazy how simple move as a running clothesline, but in, in Hansen's case, it, it's not a running clothesline. It's more of like a swinging hip clothesline crossing over his body. Just, yeah, coming absolutely out of nowhere. Unfortunately, the way he hits it to finish the match, um, it doesn't come off as good as some of his other versions are. When we think of, you know, the Lariat in current era, we we always think of JBL uh, and you know his time in the in the Acolytes and the APA. But 
you know, JBL has flat out said that he's modeled a lot of his career after, you know, Stan Hansen and him throwing the, the, the left arm for the clothesline as well. To me, I, I didn't have a lot of history to knowing Stan Hansen prior to this run in WCW. I just was not familiar with his work at all. Just know that to me, when I was watching as a kid, this unfor- this big, you know, to my perspective, fat, out of shape Texas guy, take it on Lex Luger. Oh, Lex Luger should have absolutely no problem. But man, Hansen is just crazy in the ring. Such a brawler, so unpredictable. This match is just, as JR would call it, bowling shoe ugly in terms of there's not a lot of working holds here. It's a lot of kicks, stomps, elbows, you know, fists are flying. Uh, but, yeah, it, I thought it was a great match, and it, it ends up being a little a little fun run, a U.S. run for, for Stan Hansen. We, we're so used to what is considered strong and fit in wrestling, um, Luger being a prime example of it. And and he comes out and he's jacked and he has the fireworks and the lights and all. And he looks like a god when he comes out. It's very impressive. And then you see Stan Hansen, like you're saying, educator, you're like, well, what the hell is this? But there is things like being farm strong is, is a phrase I always used to use when I was younger. Right. Are you at the gym? No. Can you put up a lot of weight, though, because you have to do physical activity all day long? Yep. You know, um, the the fat guy out of shape at the diner or the bar probably knows how to handle himself better than a lot of guys that might be jacked. You know, there's you don't have to have that, you know, six pack and single digit body fat body to be tough and damn to Stan Hansen prove it. Um, Side question, which I honestly don't know if it's going to lead to conversation or if it's just going to be a no and this isn't worth asking. Have either of you ever had chew? No, not me. No interest. Never dipped in my life. So, as you guys know, I was a bat boy for the Watertown idiots at the time. Uh, One thing they would always try to get the bat boys to do, the players, is to drink the spit for like a hundred bucks. As a kid, though? That's tempting. Like 12, 13? Yeah. Were you paid? For I did not do it. Oh, I would never gosh. do it. I'm just saying they would try to. But no, I've never had shoe. Why have you, Kevin? No, no, never. That's why I was wondering, like, where this would go. I, I barely ever had a cigarette. I've had one cigarette in my life. Zero. I really smoke free there, educator. Um, cigarettes. <laughs> cigarettes, no. A couple of recreational parties at, in college. For some other smoke. Not much, though. That's, ladies and gentlemen, that was the X Pac of the group, <laughs> the educator. <laughs> I never got into the weed. You don't have to get a wellness policy violation here. Uh, we're talking like sophomore year before Sherry was really in the Around. picture. Yeah. <laughs> she anti uh, marijuana? Nah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're pretty much. Just the wet bar now. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly, like at this point in our lives, too, I'm like, I'm too old to do anything. Hey, yeah, exactly. 
I just hurt myself. If it's once a year, it's great. Kevin would. <laughs> Kevin would pull a hamstring rolling a joint at this point. <laughs> His life. So, <laughs> all right. I don't. I don't know if this is staying or not. Um, I did have to take something strong a couple years ago. Um, I don't even know if you guys know this. Uh, the the retail job I was at before my current job, out of nowhere, and we we've never been able to track it down. Um, I got some sort of infection in my foot at work. We've never been able to find it, track it down, or whatever. But my foot swelled to the point I couldn't wear shoes. I couldn't even walk. It was just one foot. So it's not gout, but it's something like gout, a bacteria, that it eats at your muscles, causing horrible... My question to you, Kevin, is how did you get infected with this? Don't you need muscles to get infected? <laughs> oh, jeez. I walk a lot. There it is. I feel like muscles. I used to walk all the, all the time. Okay, so... And then, though, once you get antibiotics and everything, you have holes and swelling and everything. So the process of your foot returning back to normal causes an equal amount of pain. It's fantastic. So I had to be, I was out of work this whole time to recover because I couldn't even walk. Did you get like, did you get like Vicodin or something? I, I don't even remember what it was, but I was on some strong painkillers. It was awesome. I couldn't tell fantasy from reality anymore. That's crazy. And I'm like, this is painkillers doing this. And I don't know what's like, there were conversations at home. There were things where I'm like, we did this yesterday. And I was like, we have never done that in our lives. What are you talking about? And it was dreams I had, but I thought it was real. And I was arguing with her about it. <laughs> if that's what painkiller does to me, I'm never taking anything in my life. My father, when he's had like kidney stones and stuff, he's had to take like Vicodins, you know, for the pain. Obviously. Yep. It's always fun. No, no. I've had, I've only had painkillers when I had my knee surgery. Thought you did your knee. You had knee surgery? Yeah, like when I was in college. I have no recollection of this at all. Yeah, I, I have like these. No, when I was in JCC, um, I, I would have like this, this loose cartilage and bone that I could move like under my kneecap. You don't remember this guy? No. It was my party trick. So I it was my able party to, like, trick. Move I'd be able to move the bone and stuff underneath the kneecap, and sometimes I would wake up like that, and it would be lodged, like you just naturally move, and like, like it was doing damage to my knee, so they just went in and cut that out. It was like basically outpatient. I was fine um, pretty much like the next day, like I could walk and stuff, but it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and one thing you bring up too, Kevin, I find interesting is how come no one gets gout anymore? Oh, I, I, I've got they issues still, with it. Yeah, they still do. You don't hear about? No, it. I'm, I'm, I'm on a, uh, you know, I've got a pill bottle where the stuffs so are what I have a flare up, and the methicin to take care of it. No. Oh, I've, I've been. I feel like gout used doctors, to be more probably, prevalent in America. Probably six or seven times in the last eight nine years for it. I mean, so like once a year. It, it, it uh, honestly, it's like every. Eight to sixteen months, I'll get a, a pretty bad flare-up where I'll need to go see something, and it's always same foot. It's the same left foot. It's the joint between my big toe and my uh, going all the way straight back. It's crazy. I'm limping. You know, I I've, I've had to call out of work before because I don't want people to see me limping around because of it. It's crazy. 
And I mean, it's a hereditary thing too. Like I remember um, my uncle, like knowing it was coming and sure enough, he got it once he got to a certain age. Right. And him making trips to Canada because the whatever pill they had to treat it was a lot cheaper. There. A lot cheaper. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My mother-in-law does stuff where she gets stuff from Canada. She used to go to Kingston to go to the, you know, over-the-counter stuff rather than prescription in the States to get it. Now with everything with COVID, it's, she's got to buy the expensive crap. It's crazy. Make American gout again. Yeah, right? <laughs> I just, yeah, I just don't hear about gout as much. Pain in the ass. It's crazy. This is the craziest new segment we've had. And the thing with it is, is that it's never confirmed that's what it is unless they stick a needle into the joint and, and specifically withdraw the uric acid that's causing the flare-up. I mean, basically, it's just arthritis, but it's flaming arthritis in the joints. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. When I was a bad boy, they used to wanted me to drink drink the uric acid for <laughs> <laughs> and that's our new segment talk about it <laughs> <laughs> three three gouts means end of inning yeah i don't know what uh what i'll keep in there <laughs> just so you guys are aware it's not coming <laughs> I, I mean i don't know i mean it's such a weird tangent nah, i just slice that right out <laughs> which is ironic because that's what you say about the acid. <laughs> there's, there's your new year's episode Stuff. Yeah, so I thought this match too was a little weird um, because really Stan Hansen goes over clean here. Yes, um, I, I mean Dangerous Dan Spivey comes out, but he doesn't do anything. He just comes out to the ring. There is an attempt to introduce the foreign object, and when Hansen tries to use it, Luger's able to foil it. So yeah, it's never technically used. But you're right. For the most part, it's clean. There's no contact whatsoever with the foreign object. The foreign object is not what causes any damage to lead to the finish. Luger tries to do an offensive maneuver, and he gets caught in the end. I will say the replay of it looked a lot better, though. It did. Yeah, that angle where he's really he gets clobbered looked a lot better but i just feel like he was on the wrong side of where he should have been no um and, that, Lug- and that's uh, yeah, probably yeah, because Luger what hansen it throws hansen always threw the lariat left-handed le- yeah and finish. he's probably used to a right-handed wrestler right. or something oh, like exactly. that but why don't we go ahead and uh because you seem like you enjoyed this one educator why don't you break it down for but us? it's mostly a brawl it's ugly but you know Lots of lots of back and forth. It just punches, kicks, fists, and so on. So, uh, start the match. We got a brawl with Luger uh, getting the upper hand with a, a running back elbow as Hanson is bouncing off of the ropes. Hanson gets Luger out to the floor, and they're brawling back and forth and uh, throws him into the post. Back in the ring, Luger is able to get a body slam onto Stan Hanson. Stan Hansen's able to recover from the body slam and starts doing some punches and stomps and kicks. We get a headlock takeover onto Luger by Hansen and then multiple blows to Luger's head, continued elbows and kicks to Luger as he's down trying to recover. We see Hansen with an Irish whip to Luger into the corner and Hansen tries to follow up uh, with like an avalanche like clothesline into the turnbuckle. 
Uh, but Luger is able to break away, causing Hanson to hit the turnbuckle and then basically rolls out to the floor. Luger follows him out there and eventually beals him back into the ring to continue their uh, their match. Lex Luger follows back in into the ring, a bunch of knees and stomps and elbows to Hanson in the corner. Hanson is able to do a standing stab suplex and then drops an elbow onto Luger on the canvas. Goes for a pinfall from referee Mike Atkins. Got only gets a two count. Stan Hansen is able to slam Luger and, and then uncovers his knee to expose his kneecap and drops an exposed knee uh, to the forehead of Luger. Attempts another pinfall attempt for a two count. We see Stan Hansen hitting what the uh, commentators refer to as an uncharacteristic looking bulldog onto Lex Luger. Goes for another pinfall attempt with a two count. Luger's able to fight back and does a uh, sets up for the turnbuckle climb for the 10 fist to the forehead. But Hansen is able to drop Luger with a modified spine buster. Again, attempts for a pinfall count only gets a two. Stan Hansen body slams Luger and then climbs to the second rope and does an ugly looking elbow drop off of the second rope. But Luger rolls out of the way. Lex Luger throws Stan Hansen into the ropes, and a rebounding back, Stan Hansen gets hit with a drop kick from Lex Luger. Help me out. When did you guys ever remember Luger throwing a drop kick? I don't at all. This kind of blew Never, me away it, here. It wasn't Luger bad. A decent look. I mean, it was he. He got the height, just not a lot of contact onto uh, Stan Hansen. Uh, so Luger hits a standing vertical suplex. Uh, for a long two count on to Stan Hansen. Hansen is able to recover and hits an avalanche-like clothesline onto Luger in the corner. As Hansen is brawling with Luger in the corner with fists, apparently a stray elbow reaching back hits the referee, so the referee takes a bump and is down on the ground. Hansen signals to the crowd that he's going to go for the lariat. But Luger essentially uh, storms out of the corner that he was uh, waiting on and throws a, a clothesline of his own. So now we have all three men down in the ring, the referee and the two combatants. And then we hear the crowd rumbling and commentary talking about why is he here, referring to Dan Spivey. He comes down ringside. It's crazy to see how, you know, just a year ago, Spivey's in a tag match with uh, Sid, who's in now the main event, the singles main event, and he had a tag match with the Legion of Doom last year, and and now he's just being like a, an arbitrary second to Stan Hansen. Dan Spivey comes to ringside, grabs the bull rope and bell that Hansen came to the ring with and tosses it into the ring to Stan Hansen. Stan Hansen wraps the bull rope and bell around his fist so that he can attempt to clog, clobber Luger with it. But Luger is able to uh, avoid and do essentially a back body drop to uh, Stan Hansen and then follows up with like a face plant uh, bulldog. Luger then signals to the crowd that he's going to attempt the torture rack, turns his back to Hansen, goes to hit the ropes. But when he rebounds off of the ropes, Stan Hansen hits a version of the lariat clothesline. And knocks down Luger and rolls right on top and gets the one, two, three pinfall for a win and his first and only United States Championship title reign in WCW. 
like you said when you called it bowling show ugly it it is it's an ugly match it's a beat the hell out of each other match um it makes me curious like kind of curious about stan hansen now i want to see a little bit more luger surprised me a lot during the match for different things i think mostly i'm curious i want to see the follow-up match to this i want to see um the the rematch for it which i believe is a bull rope match i think at the next pay-per-view yeah it's starcade yeah but uh, i'm curious about that because i was like there's something here there's definitely something here between these two what got me though and it's not the wrestler's fault it's the announcer's fault they put over working a body part building up if you if your finishing move is blank and it affects a certain part of the body then your psychology for the match should be to attack that part of your opponent's body makes a lot of sense Luger doesn't touch the back at all, but they're putting over the torture rack. So, I mean, that's not Luger's fault or Hanson's fault. They don't know what the announcers are saying, but like we've, we've opened this book. We've laid out the rules in the first chapter and then you're right before the main event match doesn't follow the rules. Not their fault or anything, but just like it stuck out. I'm like, if you're going to put over torture rack and you're going to put over that in order to have a submission, a move, work you need to work a body part it's not happening here at all like it's it's a little thing it's nothing to do with wrestlers it just took me out of it a lot did you guys like the the chemistry between the two i mean it sounds like kevin i mean you said you wanted to see more of this um what what did you think i mean the the two completely different styles very different styles i and i enjoyed the few that they had and the the trading of the u.s title back and forth um i i liked it a lot I, I feel like it was probably Luger probably had respect for Hanson and St. Hanson's probably like, let's see what you got, kid. Like, maybe it was, uh, let's toughen you up a bit. Come out, show me what you got. Let's beat the hell out of each other. Let's get you to know how to take a beating and give one, because that's something you're missing here. Um, my only other question, too, is uh, we saw, you know, Lex Luger obviously take on Stan Hansen here and the previous week or the previous year, we saw him with, you know, flying Brian Pillman, which we thought was the match of that card. Have you guys been impressed with his work so far? Early nineties or late eighties, early nineties. Uh, I, I like Luger. I pre to his WWF run as the narcissist. I, I, I liked Luger a lot. Um, I, I thought his best stuff is when ha- hasn't come yet when he was heel and was under the tutelage of Harley Race and was world champion for almost a year. I mean, there's definitely something here. Yeah. Yeah. With Luger. Is he going to give you... Okay. Let me ref... let me redo this. Is he going to call a five-star match? No. But there's enough here. I think he could be carried to one. I think someone else could call and lead him to a great match think he's got all the potential there for it yeah it's fun watching this before he gets to the wwf so you can see what vince was so high on when he gets there and tries to to push him so it'll be fun to watch his uh his growth over the next few years too so um but why don't we move on we have tony Schiavone talking with teddy long and then he throws it to 
ringside with J.R., Paul E., and Missy Hyatt. And what was Missy Hyatt here for? Just to talk about who's going to win this uh, the final match? And how come she's not in a Halloween costume? I guess she was basically acting as a backstage correspondent. I know she was an interviewer at one point. Maybe she had a more prominent role in some of the segments that were cut out from the VHS release that was you know, not put on the WWE Network. Um, she certainly comes off as heelish here in the fact that she's kind of like saying, you know, Sting's going to get destroyed. I picked it first, blah, blah, blah. In reality, she ends up getting into a feud with Paul Heyman eventually, and they end up having a match. So way down the road, though. I was assuming she was dressed as a flasher because she appears to be wearing a trench coat and nothing underneath it, <laughs> which uh, would be a fine Halloween costume for her. But it also like we've had the problem with Sonny, which we went over many times. Listen to the old episodes if you haven't. How do you have Missy Hyatt looking like that? Height of her powers, Missy Hyatt. And you have done nothing with her. You couldn't have thrown her as a manager for one of the 10 hundred tag teams you got. Like you couldn't have done. So that's all you got for her looking like that. You just want, and, and you're already the wrestling company, not the sports entertainment company. So you have an older fan base too, that would appreciate her. I, I don't get it. That's the biggest wasted opportunity of the night more with missy you almost too wish that the she would have been the person the black scorpion takes or something that would have made a lot of sense yeah i thought for a second you were gonna say she should have been the black scorpion (laughs) 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 and i was like huh where are you going with this i'm intrigued i don't know i'm not going anywhere with it but (laughs) no i'm just thinking like instead of just some random it would have made a lot more woman but obviously they probably did that because you would know especially if it was too different uh, people, you would have known that one of them definitely wasn't Missy Hyatt. Right, so. right. <laughs> but what if, what if you got Barry Windham in the same trench coat? Oh, cheapers. Well, you know what? That leads us to our main <laughs> event of the evening. We have Sid Vicious taking on Sting for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. And all I have to say is I have one note, and it's for the ending, and it is what the hell is going on with this end? It, it's a cool idea what they did. The shenanigans, if they portrayed it better on TV, the problem is is that it wasn't at all played out. It wasn't caught. Footage wasn't really where it should have been. So whoever produced the segment did a terrible job. The concept is cool, but the production of the concept was just awful. Like, I was completely tripped up by the ending because I, I don't like educator and I used to mess around and I, I would give him titles and he would give me title history as far back as possible, sometimes to the origin of the title. Right. I'm not as good as that, but I know, you know, basic ones. I might not know the sequence, but I'll know, okay, this guy held the title this many times. You know, this guy never held that title. And I'm like, Sid Vicious did not win that title. I'm almost positive. What happened here? I really thought I had I was just wrong and misremembering the world title history there. Right. I was completely fooled by the ending. It's crazy how far they went with it in announcing him as the champion, 
handing him the belt. He's celebrating in the ring. And there's even balloons coming down to celebrate. It's crazy. And then, then they just restart the match. My big thing, too, was, I mean, yes, they restart the match, but they don't really restart the match. They don't. I mean, the ref calls for the bell. The bell rings. They give Sid the title. But then there's no announcement. Yeah. That they're restarting the right. match. There's no, I mean, Sting literally comes in, hits a couple stinger splashes, and they go home quick yeah. because it sounds like they were rushed. Because even when they're when they're talking to Sting at the end, they're like thirty seconds, seconds right. pal, and uh, you know they got to get out of there quick. So I'm just curious if that had more to do with just the lack of time for the main event, or if that was the plan all along. Because I mean, there is, I mean. The ref doesn't restart the match. There's no explanation to the fans in attendance. And we're not talking about, you know, WWF or WWE right now where you got a giant Titan Tron where you can show people what's going on. So it was just, yeah, the execution I don't think works here. So uh, they ended up like a week or two later attempting to explain it on either WCW Power Hour, WCW Main Event, WCW Pro, WCW Saturday, one one of their main shows. They attempt to explain because of the fact what you're saying is because of the lack of time, they must have ran long for the pay-per-view provider that they couldn't really cut to and have the confrontation in the aisle way that happens between the two stings, so to speak. Um but like I said, it's an interesting concept and I, it, it, crazy how if you don't know any better, you'd think that Sting slamming Sid, falling back under his weight and then just, you don't know, it doesn't kick out of the pinfall. But you know something is up when he just instantaneously rolls out of the ring and gets out of there as quick as possible. Oh, I mean, you definitely knew something was up. I just didn't have a clue at all what it's and, and that that the pay-per-view has to end at this time was such a strict hard line like the, you know we're in wwe network era if they want to end it early if they want to end it late what's it matter of course the monday night wars kept pushing it past 11 and pushing it past 11 for both shows but they, they for real were like we gotta wrap this up or else right. we're thrown off the air and the one time wcw is like oh we're out of time but screw it the main event's about to start they got so much crap for that one absolutely yeah and, and and ironically what show was it a halloween havoc can't wait to watch that one folks <laughs> right down the line Jeez. um so anyways educator why don't you break down our main so event we're gonna break us. it down actually we're just gonna fast forward right towards the finish actually um, to try to get uh, everyone up to speed as to what happens. So consistent brawling back and forth where Sting is playing, you know, the little man that's being overpowered by the power man. Anytime that Sid tries to play off to the crowd, post to the crowd, Sting tries to hit a big offensive maneuver to take Sid off his feet. And he's successful sometimes. He's not as successful um, for others. As we get towards the end of the match, um, we sit, uh, Sting and Sid are on the, the ramp way. They're brawling more Sting are more Sid brawling towards the back entrance where they're actually coming in, uh, for their entrance to the ring. And at one point stings, probably about 30, 40 feet, you know, about 
you know, halfway up the ramp towards the original entryway. And we see Sid going back to the ring and he starts to pose to the crowd. And then all of a sudden we see Sting just go full speed, running down the ramp, diving over the ropes and essentially clotheslining Sid. We see a drop kick by Sting that knocks Sid to the floor. And as Sting and Sid are brawling on the floor, so again, to understand the way everything was set up, there was the platform entrance ramp that was level to the actual ring for the entrance in. But at post-match, the wrestlers didn't go to the back through that from that same platform through the main entrance curtain. There was actually an on-the-floor aisleway to exit through another door to get to the back locker room. So as Sting is drop kicking Sid over the top rope, and now the two are brawling on the floor, all of a sudden we see Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, who sneak down to ringside through this ulterior exit way, and they begin to essentially jaw jack with the referee, Nick Patrick, and start distracting him. And Sting and Sid are just continuously brawling towards the back. And you're expecting that Anderson and, and Flair are going to, you know, at some point cheat on Sid's behalf or distract the referee. So some shenanigans happen. But what they're doing is, is they're stopping the referee from doing a, a 10 count so that basically Sid is luring Sting towards the back. And the storyline is, is that Sid and Barry Windham jump Sting in the back and actually tie him up so that he is not able to return to the ring. But instead, what ends up happening when they do that, what happens is, is you see Sid and Barry Windham begin to walk their way back to the ring, where essentially Sid is coming first and Sting is laying chase. But the thing is, is that the Sting that gets into the ring is actually Barry Windham who has cut his hair, shaved his head to spike, you know, spike his, get the flat top to look identical to Sting. He's got his face painted like Sting and the face paint is kind of worn away, very similar to Sting's. He's got the same pink gear on and so on, but you're in the, it's the far camera away, not zooming in on his face. You just assume it's Sting, but in reality, it actually is Barry Windham. So they get back into the ring. Anderson and, and Flair, now they stop jaw jacking with the ref. They take off in the background, and we see the Sting pick up Sid for a body slam, but he, they, he struggles under, Sting's, or under Sid's weight and ends up falling back as if the weight caused Sid to do more of a cross body and drop straight to the canvas, and without any type of kickout effort whatsoever, Sid's on top, the referee counts one, two, three. And the crowd's shocked, the announcers are shocked, and we hear Gary Michael Capetta announce Sting or announce Sid as the new world heavyweight champion. Uh, referee Nick Patrick hands the title to Sid. Sid's raising the title into the air. And we start to see in the background, like black and orange balloons are beginning to fall from the ceiling as like a celebration because we have a new world heavyweight champion. Then we hear a commotion 
And in the original cut or the original replay or the original match, I should say, as it's playing out, we just see the sting. But in this case, it's now the real sting make his way back to the ringside and he gets into the ring. We notice that he's got a rope tied around his wrist. And the thing that frustrates me with this is that there's apparently a restart of the match. There's no announcement that the match is restarted, but right there in front of the referee, Sting picks up the belt, clocks Sid over the head with the championship belt that causes Sid to kind of stagger back into the corner. Sting does a running Stinger splash and then does an immediate small package roll up. And then Nick Patrick counts one, two, three and Sting supposedly now has retained the title. It, it, it didn't play off that well on TV. But then when they try to do the replay, you do see there are two stings staring at each other. The only reason why we know it's Barry Windham is because Jim Ross makes mention. I think that's Barry Windham or it's something like Barry Windham. Later on down the road on WCW TV and even on a couple of magazines, we have a close-up picture I don't know if it was Bill Apter that took the picture or whomever, but there is a great picture of of Barry Windham dressed up, and it's crazy how he's a doppelganger of Sting. He just he looks amazing. He fits the part, not as body wise in terms of being well defined, ripped, jacked abs, but I mean at a quick glance, and if you weren't really paying attention, oh, he absolutely comes off his thing. So the post match. Sting is then announced as world heavyweight champion. He does a quick promo saying that no matter what, he's going to be like this fighting champion and he's going to, you know, continue to battle. And the show goes off the air with Sid being in the middle of the ring, frustrated. And then he ends up walking out. I mean, Barry Windham looked as much like Sting as Cobra did. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a clothesline onto the apron, and I, I was disappointed. No one called it the hardest part of the ring. Like, how am I supposed to know it's a devastating move if no one tells me? Repeatedly, anytime someone does something in that spot of the ring. Uh, there was something I noticed about Sting in this match, and that's that he seems like kind of playful at the beginning of the match when he's in control. So he does like the, like the sunset flip and he's, or something he's trying to pull Sid down. He's grabbing his legs and uh, Sid gets a wide base and just won't go down. So sting, let's go for a minute. Sid relaxes his posture because he's not being pulled down. And then sting immediately grabs him again to try to pull it down. It's like he has this like cat playing with a mouse uh, playfulness against an opponent at first. Until he's getting hit and taken being doesn't have control. It's like, oh, okay, I got, I, I can't wrestle like that anymore. I got to actually take this seriously. And I wonder if it's because, and they showed it in the audience a few times, the little stingers. It's got, all, you know, the kid's face painted and he's selling a ton of merchandise and all. And I mean, really, you look at Sting and you look at Sid Vicious in this match. Young, great shape. Putting it all out there. How do you not immediately say make sure we got these guys locked up because we're going to make a lot of money here. 
but with all the kids loving Sting and his attitude and his smiling and, you know, he's coming out there and being everything for the little stingers. I was like, there is just nothing like that now. Not like, not just a wrestler for the kids, but that he's being held to this like high moral character too. Like Sting didn't quite go out there and say, say your prayers and take your vitamins and all. But I'd say he was the closest version WCW had to that. To just be, you know, the superhero for the kids. And I was like, boy, like not not that there's any kids in attendance at a show right now, but that is absolutely missing from wrestling right now. The kid superhero thing. Is it because John Cena's not wrestling anymore? Maybe. Did everyone kind of turn against him at the end anyways, though, and hate that character? Also true. But like, I, I was honestly trying to think, and I feel like the only person that carries him, himself in a certain way of I'm going to go out there and do the morally... Not morally right. I'm going to go out there. I have my morals. I'm going to stand by them, even if it's difficult, is Kevin Owens. But I, I could not think of like a better example for current day one. I thought it was a real fun match for the two guys. Sid looks great compared to, you know, what he looked like at the start of our In Your House series. Um, Sting, of course, incredible. But like... I also wonder how WCW keep both of them for as long as they did, <laughs> you know, like you would have thought WWF would have just been throwing numbers at both of them. They look phenomenal. They're huge. They get star, both of them star written all over. I, I'm, I'm honestly like, I, there's a lot of guys I'm impressed with tonight. I'm glad there were two e- I'll, uh, Yeah. I'll say equal companies with stars at this time. The only wrestler, like you said, is maybe Daniel Bryan. But he, like, for the moral compass sort of thing, right. is yeah. the only one I can really... I mean, I would have said, like, New Day. At certain points, I'll give you that. Yeah. You know who I think they could do, though? Is uh, Dominic. I Yeah. Yeah, he, they really could. Because he's been great so far as a... When you when they were talking about young, up and coming babyface, as long as they, you know, stay on the right path, and I think they will. I mean, he seems like he comes off as genuine too, and what he's been doing. He'll probably turn more for, times than Big Show, of course. Yeah, and we're all waiting well. for his sister to turn heel, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that's kind of fun though. Um, so my question to you guys is: Where does Barry Windham rank in the fake sting category? Is he number one or number two? <laughs> Well, they didn't do much. They only did it. It was the one and done kind of deal. So probably yeah. the number two. But it was a good yeah. coup that they tried to pull off. All right. Um, so I, I did want to bring up one one last thing before we leave Halloween Havoc 1990. We're seeing these every year. So my question is, um, and I'll pass this to the educator so you can educate us. I have a list of uh, basically four names or acts. And that were on last year's show, okay. and they were in prominent roles. And just where are they for this year? Okay. Okay. Uh, first one is Z-Man, because they seem to be pushing him pretty well, and that was, like, I think his debut pay-per-view at the time. Um, I think Z-Man still in the undercard. He is going to be having a television title run sooner rather than later. Um, I believe he defeats Arn Anderson. 
uh, pretty soon after this and ends up uh, uh, having a short, short-lived title, a TV title run sooner rather than later. All right. Um, I could I could be wrong on that. I know he has a TV title run. Whether or not it's he him defeating Arn Anderson, I'm I'm it's escaping me right now. But I know he ends up having a short TV title run sooner rather than later. All right. Uh, Flying Brian Pillman. Ah, uh, let's see. They have not launched the um, the WCW uh, light heavyweight t- title yet. And at one point, there is going to be a wrestle war uh, within a year or so where he actually gets injured and then starts competing under a gimmick called the Yellow Dog very soon. Uh, I know that he had a prominent role with tagging with Z-Man and they were feuding with the Midnight Express probably recently over the summer for the U.S. tag titles this previous summer uh, with uh, the the Midnight Express, who were heels, summer of 90. That sounds familiar to me for some reason. So, uh, yeah, not on this card. So just, you know, not in any significant feud at the time. Okay, and just to kind of update everyone else, uh, Road Warriors at this point, they in WWE? They, so this is now 1990. So, yeah, they debuted on TV. Uh, pay-per-view wise, they did a run in during the Hart Foundation demolition two out of three falls match at SummerSlam. So they're kind of, uh, in a, a feud with the three man team of demolition and will eventually be a part of the, uh, ultimate warrior Texas tornado to uh, match at SummerSlam against all three demolition and Mr. Perfect. Okay. And then finally our main event last, uh, you know, last week or, or last year, whatever you want to say, uh, Terry Funk and the great Muda, where are they? Muda's now? gone. He's back to Japan by now. Uh, and he might actually going back and forth between the great Muda gimmick and actually wrestling, um, under his real name. And, and, and it was weird under no paint singlet tights. Um, as Kaiji Muda, Terry Funk is probably, I know at one point he was, like a, a color commentator and analyst for WCW, but probably by this time he's probably gone back in Texas doing his own thing. All right. And that's it for where are they now? <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I said, I think what we all said, it's, it's fun to see, okay, Sid was in this match. Now he's in the main event. This person was in this match and just kind of seeing where they are. And those were the five, you know, six names that to me, stuck out that they weren't on this card. So uh, I think that's going to do it for Halloween Havoc 1990 for us. Um, So great job, team. Um, So we have to rank, because that's what we do in this show. Uh, We rank things. So our match of the night was the Nasty Boys versus the Steiner Brothers. So where does that rank in our top three two at this point um is this better was that better than the thunderdome match i liked it more i i will agree okay and is it better than the lex luger brian pillman match i liked it more i will agree oh wow i was not expecting that to beat that so apparently so far nasty boys and the steiner brothers is the best match in the halloween havoc series 
Uh, any other matches you guys want to put up in the top five? Was there anything else on this card that stuck out? I mean, it was a it was a pretty solid card. Uh, you know, I don't. If if the Doom Horseman match didn't go to a double countout, and I understand why they went in that direction, uh, for booking wise, but if there was a clean finish to that, maybe. Um, Midnight Express, I'm a huge mark for them, but Tommy Rich kind of killed that particular match for me. So I really don't. I don't have anything that I would push for. Hellions, what about you? No, I mean, there's so much I liked, but nothing that I think cracks that top five level of three so far. Right. (laughs) What does Declan think? (laughs) Someone someone apparently cracked a code for uh, Pikachu wearing Ash's hat. All right, I like it. I like it. All right, guys. Um, So it is that time where we have to rank this pay-per-view. Of course, our current number one is Halloween Havoc 1989. Uh, Does this crack the top one? Did you guys like Halloween Havoc 90 better than 89? I actually did. Yeah. So you you both think this one was better than the first one? Yeah, I think I'd put it ahead. I would. There's a lot of fun wrestling on the show. There's 89 had like two real... you know, stand out things. And this just had like a, a better overall average of all the matches. Right. You see, I disagree. I would put 89 in front. And I think the reason you guys think 90 is better is because it's an hour, not as long. It's a two hour show that we were watching. It's not the three hour, you know, you throw those three, four other matches that Kevin was supposed to watch and did it in there. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to judge them because of that, in my opinion, but um, I, I liked 89 a lot. I, I enjoyed that show. Uh, this w- this was a solid show as well, but I think it's just because a lot of the wrestle crap that, you know, the educator always talks about is not in this. And we, it was, we just didn't watch it. Right. It's still kind of filtered out by the network. So I get it. But you know, when you put all your eggs in the basket for shame to, uh, you know, you know, review the whole show and it falls through, you know, disappointment commences. It's fine. It's whatever. Yeah. So, uh, so, guys, I think that's going to do it for us. Of course, come back next week where we are covering Halloween Havoc 1991. In the main event for there is a two out of three falls match for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship where the champion Lex Luger takes on Ron Simmons. So, you know, as we're talking about this, we're talking about how the wrestlers' careers are going, jumping from year to year. You're looking at, uh, you know, Luger going from the U.S. title all the way to the world title, and Ron Simmons, no, no more doom uh, going into next year. So I look forward to watching that and really getting uh, your guys' opinion on that. Um, also, two guys, Halloween Havoc 1991. You know what it's best known for? What do you got? The Chamber of Horrors match. Oh my goodness! Oh, already, is this the Abdul yeah. the Butcher? Yeah, Abdul the Butcher, the Diamond Stud, Cactus Jack, and Big Van Vader taking on El El Gigante, Sting, and the Steiner Brothers in the Chamber of Horrors match. So I thought that was a ways uh, away. I'm excited. No, it's we're getting right into it. Yeah, oh, 19, cool. this I have seen. I have watched Halloween Havoc '91. I know you guys have not watched it yet. I cannot wait to discuss this, good or bad. But you know, there's a lot of both on the show, right. so it'll be fun to fun to watch. But uh, educator of exorcisms, what do you want to say to everyone at home? Oh, thank you guys for tuning in for our second episode of the Halloween Havoc series. 
Uh, appreciate your w- willingness to give us a hear, and we would love to hear feedback uh, as to the direction of our show, what you guys' th- our thoughts are going from the In Your House series to the Halloween Havoc. want to thank my two colleagues here. It's always great to, to sit down and reminisce and be able to talk and review uh, these old retro shows, Take getting your different takes on them, especially since uh, I think I'm the, probably the bigger of the, of the three of us in the old NWA, early WCW stuff. So great to have a fresh set of eyes and a different perspective taking a look at these from the past. Um, yeah, and just to kind of piggyback off what the educator said, for me, a lot of the stuff is stuff that I'm watching for the first time, a lot of these matches. So it's been awesome to kind of go through and see, um, you know, kind of see this different presentation of wrestling compared to the that late 90s WWF. Um, of course, we want to thank the Retro Network. Everyone, hopefully you're, you've are you bookmarked the Retro Network and you're visiting every day for the haunted Halloween month of October. Uh, I mean, they're pumping out content every day on the website. Of course, the audio has been great all around. It has been fantastic. And, uh, you know, what a glorious kickoff we had last week. And it felt really good to be the first uh, audio show to to launch on October 1st. So thank you very much. I know uh, Mickey and Jason have been doing incredible work behind the scenes to get that up and running. So thank those two. And then, of course, thank anyone that contributes to the Retro Network. What a beautiful community it has been. Uh, Yeah, Um, you can find me online at Maddie Treats on Twitter. And then, of course, in the show notes, use the link to get 20% off HalloweenCostumes.com and 15% off one item at Fun.com. And Kevin, straight out of Hellions, shame mo mac and cheese. Take it home. All right. Thank you to my two co-hosts here, even though, you know, they mock me all the time. Uh, thank you to the Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you, WWE Network, for the content. Thank you to Richard Reader for our logo. You can find us across the internet at TRN House Show. You can find Maddie Treats at Maddie Treats. You can find me at Master Library, and MasterLibrary.com is my uh, personal blog. Uh, the usual shout out to our friends over at Odds. Don't forget HalloweenCostumes.com and Fun.com. And uh, guys, you know. I, I know I messed up this episode. I know I deserve the shame. But here's an update. I found a box of VHS tapes on the side of the road. And one says unedited wrestling. So I, I really have my hopes up that this will have these matches and no other possible content. I can't I can't imagine any way I'd miss reading that. I'm sure it's Halloween Havoc. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.